Hello, welcome to 2 Kings chapter 6. The sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we live and meet with you is too small for us. Please, let us go to the Jordan, and each man take a beam from there, and let us make a place there where we may live. He answered, Go. One said, Please be pleased to go with your servants. He answered, I will go. So he went with them. When they came to the Jordan, they cut down wood. But as one was cutting down a tree, the axe head fell into the water. Then he cried and said, Alas, my master, for it was borrowed. The man of God asked, Where did it fall? He showed him the place. He cut down a stick, threw it in there, and made the iron float. He said, Take it. So he put out his hand and took it. Now the king of Syria was at war against Israel, and he took counsel with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. The man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place which the man of God told him and warned him of, and he saved himself there not once or twice. The king of Syria's heart was very troubled about this. He called his servants and said to them, won't you show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. He said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. He was told, Behold, he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses, chariots, and a great army there. They came by night and surrounded the city. When the servant of the man of God had risen early, had got out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was around the city. His servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He answered, Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Elisha prayed and said, Yahweh, please open his eyes that he may see. Yahweh opened the young man's eyes and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to Yahweh and said, Please strike this people with blindness. He struck them with blindness according to Elisha's word. Elisha said to them, This is not the way, neither is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. He led them to Samaria. When they came into Samaria, Elisha said, Yahweh, open these men's eyes that they may see. Yahweh opened their eyes, and they saw, and behold, they were in the middle of Samaria. The king of Israel said to Elisha, when he saw them, My father, shall I strike them? Shall I strike them? He answered, You shall not strike them. Would you strike those whom you have taken captive with your sword and with your bow? Set bread and water before them, that they may eat and drink, and go to their master. He prepared a great feast for them. When they had eaten and drunk, he sent them away. And they went to their master. So the bands of Syria stopped raiding the land of Israel. After this, Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, gathered up all his army and went and besieged Samaria. There was a great famine in Samaria. Behold, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 pieces of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dung, dove's dung for five pieces of silver. As the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried to him, saying, Help, my lord, O king. He said, If Yahweh doesn't help you, where could I get help for you? 
For of the, from of the threshing floor or from the wine press? The king said to her, what is your problem? She answered, this woman said to me, give me your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, give your son that we may eat him. And she has hidden her son. When the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall and the people looked and behold, he had sackcloth underneath his body. Then he said, God do so to me and more also if the head of Elisha, the son of Shaphat, stays on him today. But Elisha was sitting in his house and the elders were sitting with him. Then the king sent a man from before him. But before the messenger came to him, he said to the elders, Do you see how this son of a murderer has sent to take away my head? Behold, when the messenger comes, shut the door and hold the door shut against him. Isn't the sound of his master's feet behind him? And while he was still talking with them, behold, the messenger came down to him. Then he said, Behold, this evil is from Yahweh. Why should I wait for Yahweh any longer? And the chapter finishes right in the middle of the story. So you'll have to come back tomorrow to find out the rest. <laughs> so we've got a story here. It's actually a couple of stories of Elisha. And we're in the middle of the Elijah-Elisha patch. And I did say to you earlier that in the book of Samuel, it was all about kings, specifically Saul and David, and um, then Solomon. Solomon was right at the end and towards, you know, start of first kings. But now we're in kings, which is actually called kings. It's really all about prophets. I mean, it's a history of the kings for sure, but the focus is on the prophets. And here we are in the middle of this book of Kings, but we're talking about Elisha. And from chapter 17 or so of First Kings, it was all about Elijah and then Elisha. And so it, it continues on for quite a while. Now, Elijah is often compared in the New Testament to John the Baptist. I don't know if you ever had figured that out. And um, when John the Baptist was coming and people were saying, who is this? And they were, some people were saying, he's the Elijah who was to come. And the reason they said that is because in the very last chapter of Malachi, which is the last book of the Old Testament, the prophet Malachi said, Behold, I will send the prophet Elijah, and he will turn the, fathers to the hearts of the fathers to their sons and the hearts of the sons to their fathers. So there's that prophecy that there's an Elijah going to come. So when John the Baptist came, some people thought he was the Elijah. And in fact, he was. He was the Elijah because... Um, he's the one who said, who prepared a way for the Lord. Now, just in the same way that Elijah was a picture of John the Baptist, or, you know, John the Baptist was the Elijah that was to come, Elisha is a picture of Jesus. <laughs> and you wouldn't just instantly figure that out. Um, but Elijah and Elisha were alive at the same time, just like John the Baptist and Jesus were alive at the same time. Elijah came first, and then his ministry handed on to Elisha. And in the New Testament, John the Baptist comes first and his ministry hands on to Jesus. Um, in the Old Testament, Elijah does great miracles, but he hands on to Elisha who does even greater miracles. In the New Testament, John actually doesn't do any miracles, but he hands over to Jesus who does the greatest miracles of all. So there's a process of, of increase. So there's quite a few ways where Elisha is like Jesus, but the, one of the most obvious ones is in the name. 
So Jesus' name is Joshua, which means salvation, and Elisha, his name means the Lord is salvation, or the Lord is my salvation. So both names have salvation in them. So there you go. So Elisha's like a type of Christ. Like so many different characters in the Old Testament, they're a person, and they, you know, as people like go, they've got their own personalities, and but they're also um, teaching us about the Lord. And so you couldn't get any more different people than Elijah and Elisha. Elijah was very bold and very confrontational, but he was also very much against the kings. He would run in and give them the word and then get out of there. Elisha is very quiet. He's also the friend of the kings. You'll notice as we go through that the kings, are, you know, he even lives in Samaria. He lives in the city with the kings. And in this chapter, they even say to him, shall we strike them down, Elisha? You know, they're, they're taking his advice and there's much more friendliness going on. So Elisha and Elijah are very different to each other. That's okay. Every person's different. But, but he's still a picture of Christ in some ways. And so in the first story in this chapter, we've got the story of the axe head. You know, they're chopping down trees on the Jordan River. And that's... Um, because they wanted to build a bigger place for the sons of the prophets to live. So the sons of the prophets were like a group of prophets. They were in training, becoming prophets. Sometimes they're called the school of the prophets. Sometimes they're called the company of the prophets. This group of prophets, and Elisha's kind of like a spiritual father to them. And um, anyway, they're building themselves a bigger meeting hall or a bigger place to stay. And the axe head flies into the river and is lost. That happened to my dad once. He lost an axe head. <laughs> into his dam and uh, he said it's not lost i know exactly where it is <laughs> well he might have known exactly where it was but it was 20 feet down and impossible to retrieve and in this story if, if only my father had thought of this story at the time he might have got his axe head back <laughs> but elisha um he gets a stick of wood he cuts it off a branch he throws it in the axe head floats so this is a miracle but it's a miracle that symbolizes what christ does so each of us are in debt. We, we owe somebody. Um, in this case, the man that borrowed the axe, he owed the axe to the person he borrowed it from. He couldn't afford to buy his own axe. He didn't have his own axe. He had to borrow. And now he owed the cost of an axe, which he couldn't afford to replace. So he was in debt. Sometimes people even went into slavery over debts like this. Like in the book of Amos, chapter 2, verse 6, it says, They sell the innocent for silver, and the needy for a pair of shoes. So even for a pair of shoes in, in Israel, people could go into slavery for that. Definitely they could go into slavery over an ax. So here's a man who's in debt. He owes a debt to somebody. He can't afford to pay it. But along comes Elisha, a picture of Christ, and he takes the wood, which is a picture of the cross, throws it into the sea, <laughs> into the lake, and the ax head floats. So it's a picture of through the cross and through Christ, our debts are paid. So it's a wonderful little picture right there, and there's heaps of them. So um, the next little story in the Bible is how Elisha keeps getting words of knowledge about what the king of Syria is trying to do. He keeps telling the king of Israel, you know, the king of Syria is setting up a camp over here. And the king of Syria is frustrated because it feels to him like there's a double agent on the inside, someone that's letting out all the secrets. But there isn't. I mean, well, unless you think that the Lord's the double agent. The Lord's the one letting the cat out of the bag. And so Elisha is um, an enemy of, of Syria. They send an army. Now, it says a great army. Um, it says surrounded the city. Dothan 
wasn't a very big city. So I don't know what great means. I don't think great is gonna be like an army of 100,000 people um, because the second part of the story is that he leads them into Samaria. So I think great army is probably like a thousand. So great, you know, just means a big number. And uh, Dothan is, which is where Elisha was, that's the city or the town where um, Joseph was was sold into slavery back in the book of Genesis. And these are the only two places in the Bible where Dothan gets a mention. I did, of course, look it up on Google Maps, like I always do. And it's, um, you know, Tel Dothan is the name of the place. It's out in the countryside. It's up in the Palestinian territories. It's 73 kilometers north of Jerusalem in a straight line. And so they come to Dothan, the army surrounds the city. They wanna get their hands on Elisha because he's the double agent. And Elisha prays, Lord, open the eyes of my servant. His eyes are open and he sees that the hills are surrounded with horses and chariots. So what he has here is a glimpse into the spirit realm. Now you and I, we don't see in the spirit realm really ever. Very occasionally when you're in prayer, you might suddenly have a flash of a vision or something. You might suddenly see something and you realize, wow, the Lord has shown me something, but it's not our normal experience. But it seems like Elisha, was seeing into the spirit realm all the time. So if he's seeing what the Lord is doing all the time, no wonder he's so calm. And remember when Elijah was taken up into heaven and Elijah said, if you see, you'll be granted your request. And guess what? When Elijah went up to heaven, he saw the horses and the chariots. Now this was a glimpse into the spirit realm. He saw what was happening, how Elijah was being carried up. And so now his servant too sees as well. So there are parallel realities, and in our modern scientific world that we live in, they accept science, they think science means physical stuff only. They don't, they deny the spiritual, so they deny the other reality that's, that's overlaid. In fact, it, the spiritual reality isn't overlaid over physical things. The physical is overlaid over the spiritual things. The spiritual reality is the greater reality, and the greatest reality of all is the Lord Jesus Christ. In him all things hold together, says the book of Colossians. And in Acts chapter 17 it says, in him we live and move and have our being. So if Christ didn't exist, there'd be no realities at all. He's the ultimate foundational reality of all things. So finally, um, they're in Samaria and uh, there's a famine. So these soldiers that come to get Elisha, you know, they get treated well, they get sent home, the raiding stops for a while, but after a while, they just they, they decide they're gonna besiege Samaria and attack it. There's a famine. The famine is so bad that a donkey's head sells for 70 shekels. Now, I failed miserably trying to work out how much, uh, sorry, 80 shekels, how much that was in today's worth. We don't go around buying donkey's heads, so there's no, we don't have an equivalent price for what a donkey's head would normally cost. In America, there's a supermarket called Vallarta, Mexican chain, and you can go in there and buy all sorts of things like pig ears and they, they, tongues and all sorts of things. They cook interesting things. You can buy there, but they did not sell donkey heads. <laughs> I don't know where you'd buy one, but things were getting so desperate that they would sell even the head of their donkey. You know, if the donkey died, they'd sell every part of it and 80 shekels of silver. Now, various online websites have estimated from as low as $176 right up to $48,000. So clearly some people are off. <laughs> we don't know which ones. I guess the 48,000 is way off. But let's say it's a couple of hundred dollars for a donkey head, 
that's a lot of money because you're really only going to get about one meal out of a donkey head, or maybe two or three meals, you know, but if you're sharing it with, with your family, that's one meal for a couple hundred dollars. That's very expensive. And the other thing that was selling here was, in the NIV it says seed pods, um, but in this version, it's dove's dung, which apparently it could be either. Um, Josephus, in his um, you know, antiquities, he said it was dove's dung. So my guess is it's probably that, it's probably bird droppings, and they were selling for five shekels for a, for a bunch. So that's how bad things were, they were eating um, bird droppings. So the siege is nasty, nasty, nasty. And the story of the siege does not end in this chapter, it's gonna end in the next chapter, so you'll have to wait for that. But I wanted to finish my comments by saying that way back in Deuteronomy chapter 28, um, the, the Lord, you know, he outlined the blessings and the curses for the people of Israel if they didn't follow him. And uh, you'll, you'll remember, if you've been journeying with me through the Bible, you'll remember when we did the Deut Deuteronomy 28 chapter that I said it was one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. And it outlined the types of things that are going on here right now in this siege. It talked about people, it says, even the most tender-hearted woman will eat her own child. It says all things like that in Deuteronomy 28. So, so bad. And so here we've got the first time that the, this terrible example of eating your own children is playing out, the siege of Samaria. But it's not the only time. In fact, things are going to get worse and worse and worse. There's going to, in the end, be five sieges of cities. Well, there were more than five, but there were five significant ones. So in the northern nation, there was Samaria, the capital of Samaria. It was besieged right now with the Syrians. And then in 722, it was besieged by the Assyrians that's from Nineveh. Then the capital of Jerusalem in the southern nation was besieged in uh, by the Assyrians as well. Uh, that was a miraculous survival and they weren't eating their children in that example. But then in the Babylonian siege in 2 Kings 25, that was about 586 BC, things got very bad. You can read about it in the book of Lamentations. And then the Roman siege in AD 70 was described by Josephus in great detail in the Wars of the Jews. And Jesus described it by saying, it would be a time of great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world and never to be equaled again. He said that in Matthew 24, 21. So there are these five sieges, two in Samaria and three in Jerusalem, where things get worse and worse and worse. And there were other sieges, like the siege of Lashish, which is another town in Judah. All the towns and villages would be conquered one by one by one, that siege in Lashish, the Assyrians, it was so bloodthirsty that the Assyrians made big graphic star, uh, stone carvings of the things they did in Lashish. And you can go to Nineveh today and you can still see them in the palace of the kings of Nineveh. So in Deuteronomy 28, it predicted what's described in this chapter, the ex exorbitant price of food, even dove, even bird droppings, how expensive it was, people eating their own children, and this is just the beginning. These people had turned their back on the way that the Lord had said, and way back in Deuteronomy, the people had agreed. They had said, we will follow the Lord. Well, that generation did, but it's become worse and worse and worse until the point where it gets to a serious situation as it is here. And you know what? The king of Israel says, this is all Elisha's fault, and he swears to chop his head off within a day. Well, that's how bad things have got. You're gonna to have to join me tomorrow to find out how the story ends, but I just wanna say that following the Lord is, is the only way to, 
It's the only way to guarantee um, the Lord's blessing. Now, it doesn't mean that you'll never have a problem in life. Even way back when the people like Joshua were following the Lord, even further back, Abraham, people who did follow the Lord, they still had problems. But it's a far cry from the type of thing we're seeing here. And so following the Lord isn't something only for our own benefit. It's something for the generations that will come along after us. So we give our hearts to the Lord and we also ask him to help us. And Heavenly Father, we do. We do ask you to help us. We're sorry to read this in the Bible. And Lord, I thank you that you put truth in here for us to be a warning and a reminder to us of the severe consequences of turning our back on you. And I ask that not only would we love you more, but I pray our children would love you more and their children after them. Lord, let our hearts be turned to you and the generations to come even more. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.